Welcome back to the Talking Footy Podcast. Each week across the footy season, we are talking with the biggest names in the game. I'm Mark Soderstrom, and this week, our guest is James Podsiadley. His story is one of true persistence. His dream of becoming an AFL footballer looked lost. He'd been knocked back by half a dozen clubs, but the Cats finally gave him a second opportunity, and he took that opportunity with both hands and crowned a remarkable journey with an AFL premiership. We're talking footy. James Potsiadley, thanks so much for joining us. Um, mate, I've been fascinated by your story for a long time. We've seen guys come into the competition at a mature age, but very few of them get to have the, I suppose, that uh, fairy tale ending. Yeah, well, uh, thanks for having me, Soda. I suppose uh, having a look at some of the names that are uh, on this podcast uh, this morning, it's quite humbling being here, but um, yeah, it's good to be here. Mate, take us back. Okay, let's go right back. You're, you're a young man playing in Melbourne, and I imagine that uh, footy was the forefront of your mind and you wanted to be an AFL player. Yeah, I mean, um, I suppose footy was never um, my priority early days. I only started playing footy when I was 17, mm-hmm. but um, uh, it all happened pretty quickly from then on in. I mean, I played a, uh, about 11 games at the Western Jets and then um, went down to Essendon for a pre-season in uh, end of 99 and um, yep. got rookied. So uh, it sort of happened pretty pretty quickly, but then it, uh, it definitely became at the front of my mind from then on in. So early on, tennis and soccer? Yeah, yeah, I started playing um, soccer and lacrosse was oh, yeah, um, yeah. My, uh, my team spots I played and I've still got some good mates from uh, my lacrosse days. But um, And then tennis tennis took over and I um, I suppose all I wanted to do is uh, become a tennis coach um, as I was playing through the junior ranks and heading up the ranks of, uh, of, of junior sport, I suppose, of junior tennis in, in Victoria. Um, my thought was to become a tennis coach. How good were you at tennis? Uh, oh, look, I was okay. I'd never... No need ma- to be humble here. No, yeah. um, no I'd never make the um, the pro tour, but yeah. I, I felt that um, if I could progress through the, the senior ranks of um, you know state tennis, then uh, the coaching could have been something I could have done. Um, and then why at 17, what was the grab to football? Uh, I had a lot of mates at school that played um, that played footy and sort of said, come down to our local club, which was Yarraville at the time, and and um, come down and play a few games. And I, I played um, school footy, and I, mm. I had a pretty good coach back then who was really, really positive on um, sort of what I did, um, as most junior junior kids do. And um, from then on, I think the Western Jets come and watch the school game and um, said to me, you know, do you want to come down and train? And I was like, pretty wrapped because I was sort of five games in, and they sort of started their season already, and I thought I'd just train with the Western Jets for the rest of the year. And then literally um, two weeks later, they gave me a game, and it sort of went from there, so... Um, happened pretty quick from there. So it actually looked like the fairy tale was going to happen almost straight away, didn't it? Western Jets straight to being rookied at, at Essendon. Essendon. Yeah, yeah it, it happened really quickly. And in your, in your training with guys like um, Matty Lloyd, James Hurd, Scott Lucas, who are um, guys I looked up to because they were you know key forwards and and left foot forwards, two of yeah. them especially. But um, so I thought, how easy is this? I mean, a lot of kids play from there from the age of six and and don't get to where I've got to. So um, there's probably a bit of complacency that sort of set in there, thinking that um, you know, it's just going to keep happening, mm. I'll just keep rising through the ranks. But um, we, uh, we found out pretty quickly that it wasn't the case. And how quickly did it end with the Bombers? Um, oh, look, they were, they were pretty good, actually, the Bombers. Mm. I mean, two years there, um, they were pretty keen to uh, uh, extend that to a third year as a, as a VFL sort of player. But I thought um, I'd go search other opportunities. I did a pre-season at... Um, at Williamstown and um, and then Collingwood mm. uh, at the same time asked me to do a pre-season there so did one there and then they rookied me in mm. uh, 2002 so pretty fortunate that um, in those three years I was at um, two really successful clubs I mean they made grand finals those years they had uh, exceptional players in, mm. in, in a professional environment too so I learned a lot So with the Pies you played some pre-season games Yeah Did you think 
you were pretty close. Did it again, like you're saying, even though you'd had the hiccup at one club, did it feel like this is this is happening? Yeah, it's an interesting industry, this because yeah, there's a lot of people that um, think they're close and and you can be close, um, but you just don't get an opportunity and. Uh, and that one opportunity is probably sometimes really far away. Um, mm. So at the time, look, I I'd played those three games, and um, my first game was on um, was on Tony Lockett and Barry Hall as a as a key back, <laughs> and it was um, it was Tony Lockett's uh, return game after he retired and came yeah. back. My 15 minutes for fame was I was on the front page of the Age the next day um, in a headlock from Plugger. <laughs> And I thought that was probably my 15 minutes of fame gone. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, then that, that year I played at Williamstown and there was a couple of times throughout the year that, um, you know, Collingwood was uh, going pretty well. But um, Mick, Mick Moldhouse at the time got me in the office a, a few times and said, look, you're really close to, yeah. to being upgraded as a rookie um, and us playing as a forward. So uh, I remember that. And then at the end of that year, um, things, things didn't go um, that positive and, and they, sort of, they delisted me. Um, just want to go back to plug a locket for a moment. Yeah. When you were playing on him, did he say anything to you? Um, it was quite intimidating, obviously the size of him. But um, I remember playing on Barry Hall, and, and Plugger was Plugger was behind him, so yeah. Plugger was full forward, and Barry Hall was sort of centre half forward. That would be a fair sandwich to get caught into, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. And Barry Hall was Barry Hall was quite good, but Plugger was, um, I'm sure, asking guys to get out of his space even <laughs> even back then, and I was one of them. So anyway. <laughs> Um, those couple of goes, so at Essendon at Collingwood, when it didn't work out, did you blame yourself? Did you blame the clubs? Did you feel you'd been cheated? How did you tackle that? Um, yeah, it's a tough one as a as a twenty year old or as a twenty one year old. Um, it's hard to to do a self reflection, I reckon. Mm. Um, and looking back at it now, I wish I probably was a little bit harder on myself. But um, those those couple of clubs, I learned a lot from, and um, it actually motivated me to to become a the, a better player. So. Um, post post the Collingwood day, I actually did a preseason at Geelong. Yeah. Um, for it was you know almost three months back then. Um, yeah. so that was you know with with the likes of I mean 2002, all the all the guys like Jimmy Bartel, Gary yep. Ablett, um, James Kelly, Stephen, they all won a VFL premiership. Mm-hmm. So they went um they went there in the preseason, but all the senior guys came back early. So I got the train with you know um, Cameron Mooney, Tom Harley, uh, Matty Scarlett mm-hmm. um, as a as a 21 year old for you know almost three months which is yep. which is great and then there was an opportunity there for a um a rookie spot i think or a, or a yeah. late draft or a pre-season draft and yep. that didn't eventually anyway so then i decided to to go to werribee do you know who uh, got taken in front of you who got that opportunity that perhaps was no around you around the mark i can't remember no do you know <laughs> have you done your research not that much because uh we go yeah. forward to because those guys are going to be your premiership teammates at some yeah. point um just with that, I, I want to talk about, before we start getting to the point where this persistence really paid, influences as a young man. Who were they? Um, oh, look, definitely my my, uh, my grandfather. So mum was um, a single parent from mm. when I was about eight years old. So mum was uh, a, a big influence and um, she raised my me and my sister, which was... Um, yeah. Which was unbelievable. Uh, but uh, my grandfather probably formed that father figure in my life. So he's... Um, his story was um, was a soldier in the Polish Army, World War Two, um, got captured, concentration camp, and then um, once the war ended, um, came out came out here. So um, I went back, um, I think in the mid two thousands, to sort of trace his steps yeah. um, before he passed away, um, just to sort of see where what concentration camp he came from, where he grew up. Um, he's still got family there, so um, he was a I suppose um, a, a really resilient guy, and um, some of my learnings in life definitely came from him. So he spent a year or so in a concentration camp. 
Yeah, yeah, and then they um, I think they like billeted out to a farm um, in the in the end end towards the end of the war, yeah. and and he worked on a farm. Did he ever talk to you much about how tough uh, life was for him? Then? Yeah, it was really interesting that um, he he did, and my mum and um, my mum and uncle um, always said that he didn't talk much to them, but. Um, I, I learned about World War Two at school, and I just loved yeah. the history part of it. So I poked and prodded him about um, questions, and we used to watch a TV show called Hogan's Heroes, yeah. and um, he used to just sit, sit there and watch it, and we'd laugh, and he'd laugh. But he just said to me at the end of it, he goes, "It was never like that. It wasn't really? like that. It wasn't like that." And I was like, "What was it like?" So then we sort of um, talked about things and and that. So it was yeah, it was eye opening. So you were the, perhaps the one person in the family where he was able to share. What it was like with yeah, and I got I was fortunate enough that I could um, you know when he passed away I, I did his eulogy and I sort of talked to some of these stories and um, my uncle and my mum came up to me after and they'd never heard some of these things so that was that was nice. What yeah. a fantastic um, yeah. connection to have with him. Yeah, absolutely. Perhaps, and I think obviously everyone would know someone that's been connected in war at some point. Perhaps not as in depth as your grandfather, um, but for him to share those moments with you and then you be able to share them with your Family members, it's pretty special, isn't it? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And the the things that um, you know that generation went through, um, you know, World War Two, and um, and even some of the the um, our parents' generation went through with uh, the other wars, Vietnam War, and that is is really it's really tough. And um, you could see some of the mental health issues that have come from off the back of those things. So listening to some of those stories, um, yeah, I learned a lot, but it was also tough tough hearing. Sometimes it, it appears trivial, you know, around Anzac Day when you compare football with war and all those sorts of things. But some of those unbelievably tough situations he went through, did that help you develop resilience and help shape you as a man of who you are? Yeah, I think um, I think it does. I mean, those those stories are, are, are relevant to, to his life, I suppose, mm-hmm. and, and the, way, the way he lived it. But I think um, from a resilience perspective, I think individually as you progress through your life and you get knocked back or there's things that um, make you happy or success that's what real resilience is really it's the stuff that that you go through and the lessons learned from other people um help that but it's more about the stories that you go through okay so knockbacks there's been Essendon there's been Collingwood there's been a little run with Geelong in your early days you're still a young man at this stage yep um and a pretty stellar VFL career unfolds over the next few years yeah I think um I suppose at that time um Starting starting to play at Werribee, I started to mature physically and mm. also started to mature um, mentally. I mean, they put me in the leadership group at Werribee pretty quickly and uh, and then from in I became the, the captain of Werribee too. So um, being a, a leader or a, or a scene leader, it sort of forces you to mature. Um, and I felt that probably early days in those first couple of years at um, Essendon and, and Collingwood, uh, mentally I probably wasn't ready. Um, yep. And then, you know, um, becoming a leader, I suppose, it, it sort of helped me in that space. Um, running around at Churnside Park out there yeah. at Werribee, there would have been uh, some tough days in the mud too because the grounds were still a little ordinary. Yeah, they were. They in the VFA slash VFL. Yeah, but they were enjoyable times. I mean, yeah. some of the um, some of my closest mates now uh, are from the times at times at Werribee. I mean, um, we had some we had some pretty successful times. Made a grand final, and I think we played uh, finals every year that I was there, and, and made a couple of prelims. But um, yeah, I think uh, why why you start playing footy? I probably started playing footy because some mates. Um, mm. So sort of said to come down and, and play, and then um, as you progress through professional ranks, you sort of lose why you start playing footy. But being at Werribee, um, it was about playing with the guys that you're close to and uh, and enjoying your time together. Um, so you win the best and fairest, win the Frosty Miller Medal, the old Dandenong champ yep. for uh, the yep. leading goal kicker. Um, opportunities start to present again. 
Yeah. So another preseason. Yeah, uh, that was the Western Bulldogs at the yep. time, or um, they, uh, you know, they were aligned with Werribee. So actually, that year I can't remember what year it was now, but yep. um, I did a whole heap of work um, with their development coaches. Um, I remember sitting down with um, Chris Bond and um, Richo, who's now the coach of the um, Saints yep. um, at the at the Bulldogs, and I'd go through my Werribee tapes and sort of. Um, guide me on what they were teaching their key forwards at AFL level. So then at the end of that year, I did a pre-season there. And um, uh, I think that uh, end of that year, they picked up uh, Jade Rawlings potentially mm-hmm. um, in, a, in, a, in the uh, pre-season draft. And I think uh, my opportunity sort of was um, gone from then. Okay, so then there's another knockback. Yep. Hey, you're more mature now. Yeah. Had some great success at VFL level. Yep. How are you taking that compared to, say, the earlier days? Uh, look, I thought um, as you start to play uh, VFL footy, you just think that um, you know your, your time at AFL is almost done. Like yeah. the, the opportunity to, to play AFL is the doors almost closed. So um, it was nice to do a preseason and learn some stuff from the Bulldogs um, during that year. Um, but when they sort of said, "Look, thanks, but no thanks," um, that was thought of. I thought I just thought I was go back to Werribee and um, go to uni and, and finish off yep. my degree and, and do all those things outside of footy, really. Um, then another opportunity. So you're collecting footy clubs at the moment, almost like footy cards, aren't you? So <laughs> yeah, it's quite embarrassing. Richmond. Yeah, that was an interesting one. I mean, I was at a, I was as I said, I was um, doing, doing exercise science at uni. Um, my phone rang in a lecture, and I was sort of bored in, the, in that lecture. Yeah. Um, so I thought I'd go out and answer it, and it was actually Terry Wallace. And um, he called me and said, um, "Mate, we just want to have a have a look at you. Would you be interested in?" Um, in coming down for a run over the preseason, we sort of want to take a different approach to recruiting, um, and 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 think that you could probably make a uh, a key back. So I was playing forward at the time, mm-hmm. so they wanted a, a key back uh, and potentially someone that can swing forward. So I did a preseason there um, <laughs> as well, which was uh, probably the, the the time where I felt that I was actually ready to play yeah. AFL. Um, I mean, so at I, this stage, how old? I, I reckon I was about twenty. Five, mm. 25 and I just felt physically mentally um, from a competitive point of view that I was uh, you know I was ready to play AFL you, you got the opportunity when you were playing VFL that um, sides would drop um, yeah. elite players and I got the opportunity to play on some good players and, and felt that I could um, you know almost beat them or match them so yeah. you know, it starts to build your belief but um, yeah that preseason at Richmond was really good got really fit um, and then they uh, they picked up um, Kent Kingsley in yeah. the preseason yeah. draft and remember um, Terry Wallace and their list manager at the time going to the AFL and one of the issues they had with me was uh, the mature age rookie rule back then was you could you could list a mature age rookie but he couldn't have been listed um, at a previous club um, so they went to the AFL to change that rule um, and they didn't change the rule so I um, yeah, I, got, I went back to Werribee and obviously that changed down the track so yeah it changed could have, yeah. could have been the Potsy Adley rule um, yeah, potentially a couple of years later they actually yeah. changed that rule and, and sides could actually um, recruit a mature age player that actually was listed before and um, which was sort of fair enough I mean some guys yeah, come into sure. the system at 18, 19, 20 and aren't ready go back to you know the SNFL or VFL mm. and um, mature and then they, they're ready Hey what do you get when you cross a news journal three retired footy players and a comedian it's the kick. Nick, you fell in love over the summer. I fell in love Thursday night. Who with? Dustin Martin. Oh, I'll fight you for On Saturday night, join Luke Darcy, Matthew Richardson, Cameron Ling, Sam Lane, and Richmond tragic Mick Malloy. It's a goal! Oh, 
for a show with a difference. It's been overturned and it is a point. Well, who said it was a goal? <laughs> it's The Kick, every Saturday night, live and free on the channels of Seven. Richmond, yeah. that's done. You obviously said you're super fit. Things develop really well still at VFL level. You pick up the Liston, equivalent of the um, the Sandover and also yep. the uh, the McGarry medal. Um, and best and fairest and that things continue. At this stage, are you thinking that is it? Uh, That's as good as it's going to get? Yeah, I think um, before we move on from Richmond, I think there was a pre-season at Sydney, um, <laughs> which is pretty funny, mate, at the end of uh, 2005. So yeah. um, I did a pre-season up there, flew up there and... Stayed with a couple of players and um, as a as a potential rookie and um, yeah. yeah that was a as another eye opening experience and, but um, those players up there you could tell that that Sydney at the time um, I started to learn about culture yeah um, they were a really really tight group and I think that um, a lot of their players you know um, travelled from other states to to live in Sydney and no one knew them but so they were the only the only friends they knew were the guys at the footy club but I could see there that they were trying to. Um, build this culture and I think that year and the year after they, mm. they made the grand finals so um, that was another team mate that is, that is quite phenomenal yeah. isn't it yeah. Uh, yeah it is amazing and that culture you said that the Sydney one the Bloods culture became so famous for them what was it was it that that bond that they developed being away from home what else did you sort of pick yeah, up it's, there? it's almost about um, you know when you we talk about um, going on footy trips I suppose you learn a lot on footy trips about other guys and um, every young guy that comes to a football club you encourage them to go on on footy trips because you get to know their personality um, what they're like all those sort of things and I think Sydney is almost like they were so um, insular that they had to get to know each other and I just felt that at the time that they were really close a really mm. close group uh, and I, I thought it was because they all came to, to Sydney from different parts of the country. All right, so all this is going on. You're becoming probably the most resilient character in the game, I'd imagine, and still a very, very good quality player outside the AFL. Um, tell us about Geelong, the VFL, and how that evolved. Yeah, so at, uh, after six years at Werribee, I finished my exercise science degree, and I thought... Um, you know, an opportunity presented itself that Geelong offered me a, a, yep. a role in their strength and conditioning team. Uh, and then they also offered me the role as, as the captain of the VFL. So um, there was other opportunities too, but I thought that one at Geelong was mm. was too good to pass up. I mean, I had some good friends at Geelong too, doing that pre-season yep. um, in uh, in 2002. I sort of stayed in contact with some of those guys and I had some close friends there. So I thought it was a, it was a no-brainer. And um, yeah, started working there at, uh, at the end of 08 in the, in the fitness team. So you train, you do a bit of training with the boys as well. Uh, look, I um, I probably ran most of the gym programs yeah. uh, at the time, and um, at the end of a session, if someone wanted to do some some marking or some contested marking, mm. look, I, I wasn't a coach, so uh, I, I I might join in, but um, it was more about the the conditioning side of things for me. Were you still looking at all these guys that you're doing some work with, thinking I'm still capable? No. You were done by then, pretty much. Yeah, or I resigned to the fact that you're never going to get to the AFL. Yeah, absolutely. Like I was, I was um, pretty headstrong in becoming a really good um, strength and conditioning coach. Really, yep. so uh, my time was spent on that. I mean, I was lucky enough that I could still keep playing, and the club let me um, keep playing VFL, um, which was which was exciting because I got to play with some of the young kids. And if an AFL player got dropped, um, you got to play with them as well. So, um, but I was pretty um, pretty motivated on becoming a pretty good um, conditioning coach. Now, the legend goes that you're obviously training, doing a bit of kicking with some of the boys. And the Geelong staff have sort of looked over and went, yeah. you know what, this bloke isn't too bad. He's beaten some of our guys in little competitions of training. 
Tell us the real story. How did it evolve? Yeah, I can't. I can't really recall any of those moments. I remember mm. um, one one cool moment for a for a conditioning coach was coach was um, grand final week and prelim final week. The VFL um, had started there, or the guys that um, weren't in that sort of elite squad of twenty five to thirty had started their holidays. So um, at training, um, we did a bit of mat sim, and that, we had to get some people to make up numbers. Mm. So I got the train with the the AFL grand final team um, on that day as as opposition and, and trained. So whether I got a couple of kicks in that session, I can't really remember. Um, but I know that um, some stuff that I heard um, after the fact that uh, I know that um, Matty Scarlett and um, Cameron Ling, um, you know, the story I've heard is they actually went to the recruiters and the football managers and, and um, asked them or, or told them that we should yeah. actually look at pods. So... Um, yeah, forever grateful for those guys, but I'm not sure that's actually a true story. But I, I have heard that um, that that did happen. It's not a bad story. Let's just let's just say that it happened, even if yeah, it exactly. Oh, well, those those two guys are the <laughs> ultimate team guys. Yeah, I mean, so absolutely. if they're going to a recruiter saying that, yeah, so it's a it's a pretty big compliment. Okay, so how did it happen? How did you get yeah, so, that, that tap on the shoulder? Yeah, so at the end of the season, um, Geelong had won the '09 flag. So we'll just uh, I was in my office doing a bit of a, a post-season report. Um, from a conditioning perspective, mm. working with um, with one of the conditioning coaches there, and um, Neil Balm walked past my office and said, "Can you come and see me?" And the next day, uh, I was travelling to to London with Brenton Sanderson um, to spend a week with the English rugby team. So he was going to see their mm. coaches. I was going to see their strength and conditioning staff, and and um, I thought maybe Barmy and Wellesley wanted me to talk to them about some of their you know yep. football admin stuff or recruitment. Um, you know, initiatives that they do or whatever it was. So I sort of walked in the office and I, the last thing I expected them to say was, um, mate, what are your thoughts on being a mature age rookie here next year? And I was like, wow, like, what's your reasoning? And they sort of said that, you know, Hawks, Hawks young, stop and coming, um, Mooney's uh, going well and, yeah. and having a good career, but we've sort of got no one else um, as a backup and one of those two guys goes down. And I was like, okay, fair enough. But um, we understand that you're quite passionate in this um, in this sort of conditioning space. So we want to um, maintain that um, over the next year. So we'll rookie you. Um, if things don't um, pan out, um, you know, we'll just give you your job back at the end of the end of the year, and you sort of roll in from there. So they said, look, go away to go away to England, yep. and um, when you come back, just let us know whether it's something you want to do. And I sort of went walk back to walk back to my office at the time, and I sort of, I reckon I'd, I wouldn't even taken a step mm. under my desk, and I thought, why wouldn't I want to do that? Yeah. So it was an opportunity I've been sort of waiting on, waiting for for ten years. First person you called, who was it? Um, I can't remember now. Yeah, good question. <laughs> good question. Um, I think that the guy at the time was um was uh was Dean Robinson was the head yeah. conditioning guy and I actually spoke to spoke to him about it um straight away and whether he had a bit of a smile on his face whether he knew that um that was going to be the case but um he, he just sort of said that you're crazy if you don't do that but um do you talk to family pretty quickly too uh yeah I'll let, I'll let mum know mum's yeah. um mum's not a massive footy person um but I sort of let her know so she didn't probably understand um the whole process at the time but um yeah mum's always been really supportive Obviously, with all these different knockbacks in there, did you speak to your mum about them? Did she actually, like you said, she didn't know the process that well, but she's thinking, look, my son's clearly passionate in this area. He's got so close on so many times. Um, Did she ever give you much advice in that sort of stuff, or she let you go about it? Yeah, parents in in footy, and you meet a lot of parents um, Mm. in the role I'm in now, and and they're always passionate about their son or their daughter um, 
whatever pursuit of life is. So I, I think they look at um, things with rose-coloured glasses on and, and mum was always really positive about what I was achieving in football, so she probably didn't understand why I wasn't. But um, the reality of it is the industry's not like that. It's, mm. it, you know, it, uh, it sucks you in and spits you out pretty quickly. Um, you become a rookie. Uh, yeah. Phenomenal. Um, well, fast forward, let's go. You finally get to your first game. Yeah. So you're round three, 2010. How did you find out you were making your AFL debut? Yeah, I still remember that pretty vividly. I mean, I played the pre-season games mm. as, a, as a key forward, uh, and Blake Carousel was my uh, forwards coach, and obviously Bomber was the coach back then. Uh, and the first two games of the season, um, I was still on a rookie list. They didn't select me. But I remember on the Monday after round two, I was at the uh, drink station at Geelong and uh, getting a drink, and Bomber walked past and just tapped me on the shoulder. He goes, you're playing this week. I was like, it's Monday. He goes, you're playing. I was like... Wow, so they upgraded me, and I am. Um, we flew to Perth and played my first game um, over there against uh, Freo. Twenty-eight years of age. Yeah, twenty-eight years of age. I think it's <laughs> one of the oldest guys in forty years, which is not a stat you want to keep. But um, yeah, it was, it was great. Here's Ablett. Dodds there with him. Burns from the corner. Gets it to Podziardi. He marks one meter out. Podziardi will come in and kick the goal. His first goal in league footy. And Geelong have kicked five in a row. So from the Western Jets, yeah. just taking up footy at 17, getting a taste at Essendon, a little bit of time goes by before this yeah. particular moment. What Did you realise what a ridiculously amazing journey that had been for you to get to that point to play that first game? Uh, not, no, because you don't really have time to reflect. Yeah. And, and you have time to reflect maybe. You don't even have time to reflect when, you, when your career's done. This is probably the first time I've had to do this. So thanks. Okay. So yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. But... Um, <laughs> um, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of my close friends, um, you know, thought it was a, a pretty good story and, and that. But uh, at the time, you just sort of, you, you're living in the moment and you're, I'm thinking about, now I've got to get a kick here. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, I've waited 10 years. I'm, I'm highly motivated to, to play well. But, you know, the, the voices in your head start to talk about, well, start to say, what if you don't get a kick? Uh, and the, the whole week was about, you know, subduing those voices mm. and, and just focusing on what I had to do for the team and that was the biggest thing about Geelong was just coming in and playing your role and if you played your role you got rewarded and, and I, th I thought that was pretty easy. You got the longest road trip well Shanghai yeah. didn't exist at that point so you got the <laughs> longest road trip over to Perth Yeah. Um, so it was a bit of a different build up to normal. Did it feel the whole novelty and the whole bit of I'm about to do what I've always wanted to do for you know 11 years or so did that whole process become overwhelming or do you within the stride ready to go concentrating on free no no it wasn't overwhelming at all it was quite um quite bizarre my um my wife at the time flew over um wife she's my wife now but she was my girlfriend at the time sorry <laughs> um and my mum and my sister flew yeah. over with the, with her husband so i had some close family there which was great um so it didn't feel um it didn't feel foreign i was just going out there to play footy um really and that's all i, all, all I focused on did you feel like you belong when you're out in the ground? Yeah, absolutely. I think when I when I took um, when I took my first contested mark, like I I used to love taking contested marks, mm. and I used to work on that a lot at training, whether it was VFL or AFL. But um, when I took my first contested mark, I thought, well, it's just footy and, and keep playing from here, really. So you didn't the big the step, which so many people talk about from that state league level to AFL level, and obviously you, you took to it like a duck to water and had a brilliant first year. Did you feel like there wasn't as big a step? Did you feel, you know, physically you were sensational for it and mature, but did, it didn't yeah, feel physically, like Yeah, oh, physically it was, it was fine. The speed of the game obviously was a lot quicker. But I remember Bomber gave, gave me some advice um, early days in those first couple of practice games we played 
uh, in the preseason competition was I was probably trying to do too much, thinking that um, I had to play at another level. Mm. But Bomber said, you've been playing footy and you've been playing at the level that we need you to play. So just go yeah. out and play. Don't try and like do too much. Don't try and take a heap of people on or whatever it was. Um, so he actually gave, gave me some good advice. Just focus on the next contest effectively. And that's what I did. I think, what, 19 games that year? Yep. Kicked a bunch of goals. Um, yep. Phenomenal. And you picked up 13 Brownlow votes. Yeah. 13 yeah. Brownlow votes. That's actually a, another funny story. I was um, I was at a, a, my in-law's house in Albert Park uh, with Tom Hawkins watching the Brownlow that night. And yeah. uh, we were having a couple of beers. And, um, and my name kept popping up on the screen. And halfway through the night, I'm in the top five. <laughs> and um, Hawkins is like, you know, one of the loveliest guys you yeah. meet. And he's like biggest smile on his face and all over and he goes mate we've got to go like Crown Casino's around the corner from Albert Park we just got to go I was like we can't go like we just can't rock up to the brown he goes mate we've got to go like jeans and a t-shirt let's just go there so anyway um, I can't remember where I finished that on the night yeah. but I was in the top five at one point and um, Hawkey and, and I rocked up to the Crown Casino about 11 o'clock at night and um, went to the sports bar and, and had a few beers and then all the players started coming in after the after parties and that and we just sat around and talked it was, uh, it was, it was a really good night actually pretty funny that first year, well, that is your fairy tale, even before it gets better and better. Yeah. You know, 12 months on. Um, how did you feel at the end of that first year? Did you feel satisfied? Is this like I knew I could always do it? Or was it still you were just getting caught up in this is going beautifully? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing I felt was valued, really. Mm. I mean, um, I mean, Geelong um, signed me for a, a, a two-year contract too at the end of that. So I was, um, you know, 29 years old. So those, those two-year contracts, I... I you know, I never got in the VFL even, but um, yeah. So that I actually felt valued from a from a good club um, with good people in it, and I um, yeah, I'll always be um, grateful for that. Yeah, you know, I know you said you haven't had a lot of time to reflect on no. it, but even at this point now, like that first year is brilliant. Do you do you realise what you've achieved? Um, no, I remember that first year. I mean, it, it was yeah. I, I knew I was playing well, but I thought I really thought I was just the the guy that um, played a role in, in a good team, really. Mm. And that's what Geelong was. I mean, all the players that have played there um, walk away knowing they played with um, good players around them and, and, and a, a good culture and a, and a good game plan and all those sort of things. It made a massive difference to the individual. And, you know, some of those guys are absolute stars of the game, as, as we know. But um, the reality of it was, was we had a, we had a good club, um, a good team, and we just played, um, you know, a good brand of footy. And then within a year... Of that yeah. time, you're a premiership player at AFL level. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is just a just a brilliant outcome. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember. Um, you know, that the end of that uh, my first year. I mean, yeah. Bomber Bomber left. Um, I think Tom Harley left the year before as captain, so it was Lingy's first year. Cameron Gary mm-hmm. Ablett left to go to the Gold Coast that year. So, uh, and then Chris Scott came in, and um, everyone was sort of talking about how Geelong's era had had passed and that they were too old and too slow and I remember Scotty coming in and and um I mean he was a he's a really intelligent um coach I mean Bomber Bomber was a fantastic coach and uh, one of those guys that a lot of people at the club learnt a lot from in terms of being hard at the ball um you know teaching players how to win um the contest mm-hmm. uh and then and obviously valuing defense and and Scotty came in um, with a with a, with a really high value on defense too, so nothing really shifted there. But what yeah. Scotty did was actually just refine everyone's roles. I think at the time it was a bit of a, you know, I was only there for a year, but everyone else sort of said at the time it was a, a bit of a um, a freshen up of the group, and everyone just had more clarity in their roles. Um, 
and maybe change our game style a little bit from a defensive perspective. But um, we all knew we could score and win the win the contest. But um, from there, I mean, we um, we were pretty confident we could shake it. So after that one year, you're cemented a role into probably the you know the strongest team in the competition or thereabouts at that time. Yeah, I never felt cemented though. Like yeah. I mean, the one thing I did have with um, with Scotty, I had a meeting early days, and um, he. He, he, I think he said to me that he actually rated the way I played um, with just providing a contest ahead of the ball. So that gave me a whole heap of belief going into that pre-season and then and that season as well. Um, what was his what was his instructions to you? You said he sort of simplified things and that. What was your instruction during 2011? Yeah, I think well, playing as a, as a key forward in the AFL, even now, it's one of the toughest positions to play. So, um, I mean, you, you're dealing with an opponent, you're dealing with um, team defence coming back on you, you're dealing with your, your, your teammates' opponents all flying in. So it's actually a, a hard position. But um, what, what all he said to me was bring the game back to a contest. Um, you know, if you compete, bring the ball to ground, jump at it. You know, you're going to clunk a few, but you'll just bring it down to guys like, Chappie, um, Stevie Johnson, Matty Stokes, Shannon Burns, these kind of guys at your feet, um, they'll do the rest. Hi, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to remind you of some of our other episodes of the Talking Footy podcast. There's Trent Cotchin. That was the moment that it all came to a head and tears were even shared. So I've done a lot of thinking from post-season. We were obviously disappointed with the year that we had put together. Jimmy Bartel. And then to make it even worse, I, I got out of the club, I got home, my phone starts ringing, it's Bomber. He'd forgotten to spray me a few things, so I was at home. <laughs> he's giving me another set I'm at home. And he's giving it to me, he's making me nervous over my dinner. And Bob Murphy. We need to have this out, Murphy. I don't think we've ever done it face to face. Talk about the moment that I knocked you out cold at home. <laughs> no, you, you know what, I actually knew. Did you? I, you knew I woke, it was me, I did woke you? up and I instinctively, I knew, I knew I'd mouthed off at you <laughs> and then I turned around, I ran away and then I was out and I knew it was, I knew, I thought, I just knew Dust has knocked me out. Make sure you check them out and be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. I'll let you get back to Sodas and James Podsy Adley. So 2011, you play 23 games, I think you, you win the goal kicking the cats you were there because you know they're saying hawks developing yeah um and these changes were taking place you've won the goal kicking at a club in a premiership year yeah but that's <laughs> it's yeah it's a result of um you know it's things that happen mm. around you really and 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 most goal kickers uh, do the finishing mm. and i was fortunate in, that, in a good team to do that tell us about grand final day 2011 yeah, I mean, well, I'll, the grand final week was really, really exciting. Um, we, we, as a team, I remember being really confident that we're gonna we're gonna win. We, yeah. we, um, we smashed Collingwood in the last round of the year by a hundred points, and we just didn't think that they could come back from from that loss. Um, we played pretty well in the in the qualifying final and the and the and the prelim final, so we were pretty confident that week. And um, yeah, for a guy that doesn't like a lot of attention, um, you, you just love the fact that. In the last week of September, all the attention is on two teams from around the country. So um, you, you, the fans get to all the training sessions. It's it's packed. It's a packed house at mm. Kidinia Park. Um, uh, you, the media attention's on you. But what Geelong did really well that week was just keep things normal. And and I tried to do the same at home. And um, so that week was was exciting. But um, at the same time, it was um, pretty normal. And then Grand Final day was obviously the Grand Final. Uh, nerves are in, but when you look around the room, um, you've got Cameron Ling, who's a two-time Premiership player at the time, Captain Joel Salwood, who's probably the most influential person or inspirational person I've seen in football mm. around you, James Kelly, 
Joel Corey, who's probably the most underrated person, Matty Scarlett, all these guys around you thinking, you know, we'll get it done. So, you know, you're confident. Do you remember going to bed the night before the grand final? Do you remember what you were thinking? Uh, yeah, I just did my normal routine, watched some, watched some tally and, and um, had a pretty good night's sleep. So you weren't, didn't feel overawed at all or anything nah, like that? Nah, nah. Um, I remember watching that grand final. I was sitting there and I, I always loved your story because of the persistence and the resilience. Um, and you popped the shoulder... Yeah, early in the game. Yeah. Um, tell us what was going through your head. Yeah, halfway through the second second quarter, I remember just trying to. Um, I hadn't taken a mark in the game yet. I had I had a couple of possessions, but I knew that I hadn't taken a mark, so I just tried to jump at a ball really aggressively and and try and cluck it, and and um, my leg sort of got taken underneath me and landed on my elbow, and my my shoulder popped. Now this is a casualty for the Cats. He looks in a really bad way. Podsy Adley, I think, does. We can just see the pain, writhing in pain, still on the ground. What it was, Hutto, was a big contested mark. Dislocated uh, shoulder by the looks yeah. of things, boys. He's in a lot of pain, just landed awkwardly, Doc. Yeah, they're trying to put his shoulder back in on the ground. He's in an enormous amount of pain. It was pretty painful, but the pain started to sort of just, um, subdue a little bit, so it wasn't too bad. And I thought if we could pop it, pop it back in, um, I could probably play on, but um, they just couldn't get it back in um, out in the ground. I mean, um, uh, Jeff Allen, the doctor at the time, and, and um, Bradshaw. Chris Bradshaw. Chris Bradshaw, sorry. The former pole vault. Yeah, yeah, Chris Bradshaw. And they were out in the yeah. ground with me trying to pop my shoulder back in and it wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't go in. And um, Anyway, I got stretched off, went back to went to the rooms, and the only way I um, could get back in is if I got on the green stick. Um, yeah. And they lift the physio bench right up at the time, and I think half-time was was almost there, and they sort of swung off my arm to sort of pop it back in. And once um, they popped it back in, I got that... Um, relief, but I wasn't going to go back on. Um, yeah, yeah. Which was, well, I couldn't go back on because at yeah. the time it was a sub. Yeah. I got subbed off. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, yeah. So then I was pretty high actually. Um, <laughs> you gave uh, the stick a fair workout. I gave the stick a fair workout <laughs> and um, ended up uh, sitting on the uh, on the bench um, yeah. in the last quarter and just watched the boys absolutely um, do what I thought they were going to do. Um, at what point were you sitting there going, "We're going to win this fight"? Um, well, in the rooms um, on the physio bench, I was probably more worried about my my shoulder and my family were there. And I had the um, Ron Watt, who's the PDM yeah. uh, of, at the time. I remember Cam Mooney came down. He wasn't playing the day, but he came down and had um, had a chat. Um, but I, I remembered um, getting sort of dressed after the um, after getting the shoulder back in, thinking, "Oh, all right, it's grand final day. I'll be." Better go back out there. We're going to win a flag. But I can go back out and sit on the bench, and, and that's what I did. But um, I, I, look, I was pretty confident the whole week we were going to win it, really, yeah, to be honest. So there yeah. wasn't a time in the game that yeah. Um, yeah. I thought, geez, that's changed. Did you have, uh, I mean, obviously, celebration's amazing. It was the third yeah. one in what, six, I think, what, seven, nine, 11. Yeah. Um, yeah, did you, did you have a time at any point after it happened to sit back and go, this has been an astounding journey? Uh, no, because you're, <laughs> you're just going hard. You just, you just, well, that, that week is, a, yeah. is one of the most enjoyed weeks. And, and Geelong have always been known for their Mad Monday shenanigans and, Absolutely. and, and the dress up and stuff. And um, I mean, that was unbelievable that, uh, that week. And um, you, know, you, you finish every season effectively in your career, um, for me, bar one, having a loss. Mm. So there's some sort of bitterness in your mouth. But yeah. when, you've, when you've won the last game of the year... Um, it's pretty special, so there's no, there's nothing that can um, dampen your mood. So yeah, you're on this, um, you know, big high. Then there's alcohol involved too, mm. which is um, even better. 
Okay, the Mad Mondays. Geelong, traditionally, yeah. probably the trailblazers in modern times for just going to the next level in terms of the outfits. Um, was Matty Scarlett the best? Easily. Yeah, yeah. Matty Scarlett, James Kelly um, were were definitely the, the best. But from a, from a preparation point of view, mm. um, Matty Scarlett was... Um, yeah, and and Corey Enright were the best in in their costumes. Matty Scarlett. Uh, now I did hear a story once that he'd um, come as Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, he had the mask and everything. Yeah, they Is wheeled it... him in on a trolley. I think. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a legend. Um, is it true that he initially got a mask sent over from America, but he didn't like it, so he asked for another one to come back that was a better-looking one? Uh, that would sound like Scala. Yeah. yeah. Um, attention to detail in uh, in everything he does. Yeah. <laughs> How far out were some of these costumes planned? Well, the amazing thing was that, um, you know, we always got told um, not to talk about Mad Monday in any mm. other club I went to um, that you shouldn't talk about it. But Geelong talked about it um, pretty openly in the change rooms, but that was still successful. From how far out? Uh, some places start thinking June, July, I reckon. Trying to work out their outfits. <laughs> Trying to work out their outfits. And some, some, well, some guys had to talk about it because they actually paired up. Yeah, so, of course. Um, well, we, we did see uh, there was a couple James Bartell and a few yeah, others. Yeah, a controversial one with James Bartell and, and Mitch Duncan, but yeah, um, yeah it's on... <laughs> on the humour space. Um, Ronald McDonald, of course, Cameron Ling, outstanding. Yeah. And that was his partner that stayed home to put that together, I believe, one night and didn't even yeah, come Dodsey. out and celebrate and that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Cameron Ling was, uh, he was actually always probably jeans and a t-shirt like Andrew Mackey. Andrew Mackey did no preparation whatsoever yeah. um, for his entire time at the club or my entire time at the club. I'm not mm. sure what he's like now. But um, yeah, Cameron Ling as, uh, as Ronald McDonald um, taking the mickey over himself is always uh, is always pretty good. Uh, best outfit that you had over your Oh, uh, look, I was, uh, I was pretty pretty stock standard, mate. I probably bought mine online. I had Fred Flintstone one year, which yeah. was um, the year that we won the flag, and I had it in the sling. But, I might have an arm in the sling, but um, other than that, I was pretty boring. <laughs> <laughs> um, the four years you had at Geelong at that level, um, all fantastic. And do you played some consistent footy and kicked a lot of goals? Yeah, and that was uh, that was a result of um, some good coaches, really. I mean, um, you know, coaching, I suppose, um, you, coaching now is a, is 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 a is a great space to be in. But at the time, as a player, you don't realise how much of influence that coaches have from you uh, have on you from a week to week basis. I mean, you look back and think about the the things that coaches have taught you over a um, over a macro period. But yeah. right now, the the week to week stuff that watching Vision. I mean, James Riley for me was. One that was fantastic, Blake Carousella, Brenton Sanderson, when, and then also Scotty as the mm. as the senior coach. So, um, you know, my 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 success at the time at Geelong was definitely due to some of the coaching, but also the culture and the players we had. So I, I don't sort of um, think much past that when I think about my time there. Chris Scott capable of a good spray? Uh, he at my time, I, yeah, well, pretty. We were pretty uh, successful mm. won a few games. I remember there was one um, when we were playing GW, uh, GWS, GWS um, one might have been their first or second year in the comp, and we might have been about five goals down at quarter time, and he, and he gave us a good one. But he is actually quite quite measured, to be honest. And um, one thing he did do really well was that it was really easy for him as a coach to, to view the game at that sort of level three from on a mm. grandstand. But um, he continued to ask, ask players and... Um, about what it's actually like at that at that ground level, so that's something that sort of stuck with me. Um, Geelong's performance uh, at the home ground is phenomenal, yeah. and you were there as that was all rolling on, and it's still going to this day. And you you witnessed yeah. it recently with, yeah. with Adelaide as an assistant coach. Um, it is a remarkable record, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, absolutely, and, and obviously some of the you know, 
at first of all, all the, there's 95% Geelong fans there. Um, players get to stay at home. Um, they know the, that environment. Um, you're in your actual home change rooms, which are there every day. So there's a bit of familiarity around that, which definitely helps them. But um, the ground as well is a, is a little bit different than AFL, other AFL yeah. grounds. And, and Geelong play that ground better than anyone. Um, what I think it's something like when we look at Adelaide Oval here, it's something like eight metres more narrow. Yeah. Um, how much of a difference does that make? And how big is the advantage? Obviously, it's great success, but how big is the advantage for Geelong on that deck? Yeah, you probably don't realise the advantage until you leave, to be honest. Okay. And I, I, at the time, you just think that it's a normal AFL ground. But I reckon when you when you travel around, you you train at other grounds or you play at other grounds, I think um, the ground being a bit more narrower, is it's more conducive to a contest. And if you look at you know Bomber Thompson uh, and his coach at the time, Brendan McCartney, always taught um, Kenny Hinckley, always taught players how to be good in, con- in, in the contested situation. And, and the ground's a little bit conducive, conducive to that too. So, um, I mean, Geelong have always been a good contested side and, and we see that now. Um, the four years at Geelong wrapped up there. Yep. You ended up in Adelaide, I think, the last day of... The, the free trade period there, yeah. um, free agency period, uh, you obviously still thought there was there's some good footy in you. Yeah, I mean, sitting down at the end of the year with uh, with Chris Scott, I probably didn't see um, them not offering me a contract, um, to be honest. And then sitting down with Scotty at the end, it was um, it was tough tough to take. But at the same mm. time, like you can't um, you can't be too um, sad about that specific moment because I had some great times there and the opportunity Geelong gave me to play AFL footy so I was never bitter on the club or, or Scotty and uh, and caught up for, with Scotty um, uh, you know, for dinner mm. after after the, the delisting but I mean speaking to um, David Noble and, and Brendan Sanderson at that time uh, and had some uh, some interest in some other clubs as well. Uh, I just thought Adelaide was was a was a really good fit for um, not only myself footy, but also for my wife coming over yep. here and experiencing uh, living in living in Adelaide. And uh, we've really enjoyed it. Um, obviously, you had that great first year at Adelaide too. You signed for a couple. Yep, signed had for a couple. Really great first year as well. We just continued on where you'd been at Geelong. Yeah, I mean. Um, yeah, I think uh, I, I sort of prided myself on preparation and, and coming to coming to Adelaide. Um, I knew that they actually prepared really well from a from a conditioning point of view, from a from a game knowledge point of view. So I felt pretty confident that um, we we're going to have a, a pretty good year. Uh, we didn't make finals, but mm. um, being able to prepare in a professional environment like Adelaide was, um, I got the best out of me still. In your second year, you didn't play a senior game. No. Yet you won the best team man award yeah. at <laughs> AFL level. Yeah. Um, that is a great achievement. Yeah, it's a it's a it's an award. I think I said on the night when I got it. It's an award that um, I've seen um, a lot of good people win over my seventeen years of mm. of AFL football, and and the people that um, I've seen win them, I've always like uh, looked up to them. So to to win it in my last year um, was was really humbling, um, but yeah, you know, quite a big honour. And um, yeah, it's something that I, it's one of my favourite awards. All the more remarkable though, because. You didn't play a senior game, yet you had a huge role through the SNFL, the Sandfall there, developing your future stars at the Adelaide Footy Club. And I think that that makes it almost um, unprecedented, I think. Yeah, well, um, I think playing SNFL footy um, that year has almost took me back to my days at Werribee, where uh, where I sort of said to you before about um, you played with your mates, you actually enjoyed it, (laughs) you knew you could play well at that level. Uh, And most players that come back from AFL... The reason why they don't play at that level is they're not really that motivated. They they lose a bit of speed mm. or whatever it is. But I still felt that I that I had that, and all that was going to stop me was my mindset driving to a game. So yeah. driving to a game after playing um, at AFL level, 
you're sort of thinking, I don't really want to be, I don't really want to be here, but um, the change rooms are smaller and all these sort of things. Mm. Like, but the reality is, once the balls bounce, yeah, your competitiveness just takes over, and you don't want the guy standing here or the team to to beat you. So, I actually enjoyed that year. Your last year of competitive football, we said, was spent in the SNFL. Yeah. Your last two games, you finished your, yeah. your football career on an amazing note. You kicked 20 goals over those last <laughs> two weeks. It's not a yeah. bad way to go out. Yeah, well, you only scored your last game, sober. <laughs> exactly. And what <laughs> did you is kick why, in the last game? 11-7 uh, or something, but, <laughs> which is why I haven't played um, since because exactly. I, uh, I continue to tell my close friends that uh, you only got as your last game. But look, yeah, um, at the time, we're, 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 we're pushing for a um, for, to play finals in the mm. SNFL the first time the club um, would have played finals and we and we missed out. So the last couple of games really was just um, I knew it was going to be my last couple of games, and I um, you know told some some friends flew over from Melbourne, my family flew mm. over from Melbourne as well to to watch them, and um, they were, yeah that was a bit of fun. Eleven seven, I think you just missed out on the Ken Farmer medal, the leading goal kicker equivalent to the what the Frosty Miller one you yep. won years ago. You only missed out by one goal in the end. <laughs> yeah, I know. So uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, Pods, look, it's, it is a fantastic story. I love it. And you said at the start of this that you looked at some of the people that have been on the Talking Footy podcast and thought, well, do I belong? Yeah. There is no doubt that you well, belong, you. which yeah. is fantastic. And one more thing I want to check with you too. This will probably go to air before Adelaide play Geelong again. And obviously you've just come off a loss to them recently. Um, and Geelong have no doubt had the wood over Adelaide for a little while yeah. away and at home. Is there anything up the sleeve for them in a few weeks' time? No, well, I think, um, look, we didn't really bring our, um, our our contested brand last time we played them. And and you know that um, the Selwoods, the Dangerfields um, of the world bring that every week. So um, our guys have just got to bring that um, you know, in the next game we play them. James Potts, Hadley, mate, it's an absolute pleasure. Like I said, I, I think so many people have loved your story. And I, the fact that there's a cherry sitting on the top of the Supremiership, I think, is absolutely remarkable. And no doubt your granddad would be very, very proud, mate, that you've developed into a fantastic young man. Thanks, Soda. Well, if you enjoyed this episode of the Talking Footy Podcast, please make sure you leave us a review. It's pretty simple. Jump on iTunes, search Talking Footy Podcast, and give us a rating and review. Even leave us a comment on who you want to hear from next. And don't forget to check out our other episodes, including Eddie Maguire, Trent Cochin, there's Bob Murphy, player manager Paul Connors, and also Nick Knapp. Keep checking in for a new episode every week. We're talking footy.